I begin the lecture today, um, I'd just like to bring to your attention that you all know that something happened with the grade book last week, some elf was playing with it. <laughs> we're sorry about that. Yeah? Um, we're very sorry about I know grades are super important and it's important not only for you all but also for us. Uh, but at the same time, we have edited it now. It looks okay now. However, if you find things that are missing, yeah, because all of it, remember, is done by human beings. So error is always, you know, we, we have a, there is some error always, you know, it's like a part of life, yeah. So if you please go back, spend about 20 to 30 minutes with the grade book, make sure that you have all the allotted points that you want to have, make sure that your percentage that you have at this point is correct. I think that will be the biggest help for us. If you find something wrong, please bring it to our attention. We'll correct it. Okay? But, but don't be very much concerned because this is not the final grade book. Okay? Things keep adding on every, every weekend and every... So they keep changing. If there is something you notice on the grade book, please bring it to our, our attention. Yeah? And just don't be too much concerned about it because you, we will not take the grades that you have spent so much time in earning. So, okay, so whatever you earn, we want you all to get whatever you have earned. Okay, so can I make a request to all of you all to please go back and check your grade book, make sure that your percentage is correct. Okay, is it okay? Yeah, and we are very sorry for whatever happened last week, but we tried to correct it. But I think there are a few students who keep still having the doubt, so please do it yourself. And if you find a problem, come back and tell us, and we'll try to solve it for you. Okay. Now, today's lecture is about liver function test. This is kind of a very integrative lecture yeah, and perfect for this module because liver is like the center of metabolism as well as digestion and absorption. Now, you need to read this lecture for tomorrow's physiology small group. This was brought to our attention last week, uh, last term, and we have put this lecture before tomorrow's small group. So those who are doing this small group tomorrow, today, is it today? <laughs> oh, I thought it was tomorrow. Okay. I'm sorry. Is it today? Oh, my. A and B. Okay. So, uh, listen to it carefully today. And <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> next time. Okay. We'll, we'll try to do it better next time. Okay. So basically, in today's lecture, we are trying to listen to what the liver is trying to tell us when it is in trouble. Okay? For those of you who are very interested, now this topic will keep coming to you as you go on in medicine. So this is ki kind of a very clinically important, clinically relevant topic. Okay? So basically, what are the functions of liver? So remember, when you want to assess the function of the liver, you want to do it by using a panel of tests and not one single test will give you an idea, idea of the function of the liver. So you want to do a group of tests or a panel of tests when you want to assess the function of the liver. Note that liver has a variety of functions and today we shall be talking about how to assess. So how are we trying to assess each of this function? Now, this will, if you do these tests, it will give you an idea of how much of the liver is damaged and how much of the liver function is basically lost. Okay? So this, these are kind of important. Now, when you, when you see a patient with liver disease, that you suspect liver disease, you want to check whether there is history of drug abuse, because many of the drugs can affect the liver. 
history of alcohol abuse or high risk sexual activity because many of the viruses like the hepatitis B virus can affect the liver. You also want to check whether there is history of systemic illness because many of the illnesses can affect the liver function. Medications like acetaminophen that you are going to study in the next week as well as statins which is used to treat high blood cholesterol level. You want to check the liver function whenever a patient is on statin or if you suspect poisoning with acetaminophen. Now you also want to check for liver disease in the family especially for hemochromatosis which is nothing but iron overload which is a familial disorder. Wilson's disease is a disorder of copper metabolism. We are going to look at it next week. In the last term, you've seen alpha-1 antitrypsin deficiency, which can also affect the liver. Remember, the other organ that's affected is the lungs, alpha-1 antitrypsin. Now, what are the things that you will look for when you suspect liver disease? So you look for icterus or jaundice. So two kinds of patients, it could be Hepatitis, acute or chronic, it could be cirrhosis or it could be post-hepatic disease. So in all of these disorders, that is biliary obstruction or post-hepatic, all of these disorders, you may find icterus or jaundice, that is yellowish discoloration of the skin and the sclera. Abdominal pain and fever could be present when there is inflammation of the gallbladder or even obstruction of the gallbladder. It can also be present when there is acute viral hepatitis or acute liver disease. Some of the stigma of chronic cirrhosis are spider angioma. Palmar erythemia is when the palm becomes quite red, reddish in color. The other one is gynecomastia and many patients with chronic cirrhosis can have testicular atrophy. Now the, the, the reason why you find these changes or the, the stigma of chronic cirrhosis is because the liver is not functioning. What happens is in, in males with chronic liver disease, the testosterone is not being de degraded or it's not being inactivated. As a result, what happens is there is high, higher levels of testosterone in the circulation. There is more conversion of testosterone to estrogen by what enzyme? aromatase and remember it can be done in the peripheral tissues it's called peripheral aromatization so there is increased peripheral aromatization of testosterone to estrogen otherwise if the liver was normal it would have broken it broken down or inactivated the testosterone now the other complications of liver disease um, and this these usually indicate that the liver, liver disease is quite advanced like encephalopathy yeah, encephalopathy or unconsciousness, ascites, fluid accumulating in the peritoneal cavity, GI bleeding, hematemesis because of varices, and most of the patients with, with severe liver disease have what's called as coagulation disorders. They have increased tendency to bleed. So today we shall try to explain. At the end of today's lecture, you should be able to explain why is there encephalopathy, ascites, GI bleeding, or coagulation disorders. Okay? So that is what we expect at the end of the lecture. Now this is spider angiomata, gynecomastia, ascites, and, and jaundice, which are all stigma of chronic liver disease. 
and spider angiomata, the palmar erythema, and gynecomastias because of increased peripheral conversion of testosterone to estrogen. Yeah. So th these are the different groups that are included, the group of tests that are included under the liver panel. So the first job of the liver is to make sure that it excretes things that are not required. Under that, we look at serum bilirubin levels. There are three components. So we did it last week. One is called as total bilirubin, conjugated, and the unconjugated bilirubin. The next liver function test is you want to look at the enzyme levels. And these can be grouped as whether they indicate liver cell damage or do they indicate cholestasis. So we shall look at those enzymes. GGT has a special place. We'll see what's the role of estimation of GGT. Now, tests for the biosynthetic function of the liver, you want to check for serum albumin because that's the major protein, plasma protein, that is synthesized by the liver. Clotting factors and associated with that, the test for clotting factors, you would like to do the prothrombin time, which may be affected in patients with quite severe liver disease when a large proportion of the liver is not functioning. Alpha fetoprotein is normally very, very tiny amounts. It's almost undetectable in a normal person. When you find serum alpha fetoprotein levels high, the first thing that you think about is, does this patient have, it's, it's considered as a marker for liver cell cancer or hepatocellular cancer. So this is kind of a special test to indicate the prognosis or sometimes even the diagnosis of cancer, liver cell cancer. Finally, test for metabolic functions. You just did the urea cycle. Remember, one of the important jobs of the liver is to detoxify ammonia to urea. So when the liver is in big trouble, the serum ammonia levels increase, and this is mainly going to affect the brain. And this, this entire condition is called, because the liver is responsible for affecting brain function, we call it hepatic encephalopathy. Okay? We'll try to explain why is that. And you've learned by now that the blood glucose level or the plasma glucose level is maintained. One of the jobs of the liver is to maintain the plasma glucose level. So what happens in patients with chronic liver disease is they may have alterations. It could be hyperglycemia or hypoglycemia. So just pay attention to the blood glucose level in patients with chronic liver disease. Now we have talked about serum bilirubin in the last week. Now, remember that in patients with liver disease, yeah, it could be acute hepatitis or chronic cirrhosis. In both of them, you find there is elevation of both conjugated as well as unconjugated bilirubin. So we have seen that in the lecture under jaundice. The explanation for increase in conjugated bilirubin is because the liver function is affected and most of the time what happens is, imagine it's a patient with viral hepatitis, what happens is the hepatocytes are swollen because of the in inflammation. Now, when these hepatocytes swell, what happens is they tend to obstruct the tiny biliary canaliculi that are surrounding, that are present next to it. And this phenomenon is called as intrahepatic cholestasis because this obstruction is happening within the capsule of the liver. Yeah? So you all know anatomy. So this obstruction is happen happening within the architecture of the liver or within the capsule of the liver. So conjugated bilirubin is increased because of the phenomenon of intrahepatic cholestasis. 
unconjugated bilirubin on the other hand is increased because the liver is not doing its job well it's not taking up bilirubin from the blood or unconjugated bilirubin from the blood and also it's not its conjugation capacity is kind of reduced yeah so conjugated bilirubin is elevated because of intrahepatic cholestasis so conjugated bilirubin cannot be secreted it is going to be put back into the blood or regurgitated back into the blood now in cholestasis cholestasis or posthepatic jaundice also you find increase you, you find that the patient has jaundice now if you look at the bilirubin numbers you find that in these patients that is there is mainly an increase in what kind of bilirubin posthepatic what kind of bilirubin is elevated it's, it's mainly the conjugated or the direct bilirubin yeah and it's increased because the because of the obstruction the liver is not able to put out conjugated bilirubin into the bile so the liver does not keep conjugated bilirubin it puts it back into the blood now in these patients you also find if you do a dipstick with urine you find that the urine is dark colored and that's because of the presence of conjugated bilirubin in the urine okay now if the obstruction is complete the patients may also have a pale colored feces and if the obstruction is complete urobilinogen is also absent in the urine however sometimes you may find patients with prolonged cholestasis yeah that that means the obstruction has been present for a few months you may find that there is a tiny increase in the unconjugated bilirubin also so when you find an increase in unconjugated bilirubin what you have to think about is oh this cholestasis has been present for a long time as a result of the back pressure what happens is the hepatocytes around the biliary canaliculi are now destroyed yeah so this is usually more commonly seen in prolonged cholestasis however the, when you look at the actual numbers the number of conjugated bilirubin is always higher the unconjugated may be elevated but it's to a tiny extent so that number may be important too yeah so what do we conclude at this point is that if you just look at bilirubin you may not be able to actually differentiate between whether it is hepatic disease or is it posthepatic so you want to do other tests yeah so in other words you just want to i'm just trying to justify why do we have to do so many other tests to make sure that the liver function is normal okay now this picture will tell you uh, again i'm trying to explain intrahepatic cholestasis here where because of the inflammation the green the green things that you see here are the biliary canaliculi yeah the tiny biliary canaliculi because of the inflammation they swell the hepatocytes swell and they obstruct the tiny biliary canaliculi all of this phenomenon is happening within the architecture of the liver this is intrahepatic cholestasis now in in patients with chronic cirrhosis do you know what's the problem in cirrhosis there is what happens is there is increased fibrous tissue in the liver yeah now as a result of increased fibrous tissue in the liver what happens is again this fibrous tissue tends to encircle the tiny biliary canaliculi the green the green lines here and this is again going to create a phenomenon of intrahepatic cholestasis so if you look at the liver of a patient with chronic alcoholic cirrhosis or any type of chronic cirrhosis you find that the liver is actually very shrunken the size of the liver is markedly reduced and that's because of fibrous tissue the hepatocytes are actually replaced by fibrous tissue extrahepatic cholestasis on the other hand can be 
gallstone in the common bile duct that is the bigger you're thinking the bigger picture now where gallstone in the common bile duct or carcinoma of the head of the pancreas that could be a cause of extrahepatic cholestasis too okay so that is what is explained on this slide so next we go to the next test that is enzyme levels in serum now enzyme levels you have to think about two groups of enzymes whether they tell you that the liver cell is actually damaged or is there an element of cholestasis and sometimes you want to look at the 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 fold increase because if you want to think about hepatocellular damage you're thinking about a fourfold fivefold increase in that group of enzymes whereas if cholestasis is the main phenomenon you will find that there is a fourfold or tenfold increase in this group of enzymes yeah so the degree of the elevation of the serum enzyme that is times the normal limit is sometimes it gives you an indication of the extent of the damage or or can even tell you whether it is mainly cholestasis or is it mainly liver cell damage now all of these you have studied before so what i want you all to focus on now is if you have a patient with acute hepatitis what enzyme do you look for it is mainly the aminotransferases you just studied about the aminotransferases there are two in the liver alt and ast there are many more but these are the ones that are most clinically relevant alt is alanine transaminase versus ast is aspartate transaminase or aminotransferase now if you see a patient with acute liver disease you find that alt elevation is much more than ast both of them are elevated but the the amount of alt elevation is much more than ast yeah so l for the liver and you're thinking about acute liver disease now whereas if the patient moves on into the chronic state so from the acute stage he has moved on to the chronic stage for example a patient with long standing cirrhosis it could be most commonly alcoholic cirrhosis there is a classical finding that you you see and that is the ast levels are almost double the alt levels so there is what's called as a 2 is to 1 ratio note that there is a change so if it is acute is alt is much more than ast whereas alcoholic cirrhosis so remember this is a long standing process the ast levels are now almost double that of alt both may be elevated but if you do the ratio you will find that for example you may find like 500 and this will be about 250 if you want to get the idea of numbers both are elevated okay and these are two cardinal findings that you want to look for in patients with and and this can help you in classifying whether it is something that has happened a few days ago or is it something that has been happening over months okay so whether it's acute versus chronic now the enzymes that belong to or that will identify whenever you find an elevation of these enzymes that is alp or ggt you think about obstruction to the bile duct yeah two important enzymes alp and ggt there is an important difference between the two alkaline phosphatases both are both are usually secreted from you know the uh, biliary canaliculi alkaline phosphatase is also present in the bone so when you find an elevation of alkaline phosphatase it does not always mean liver disease so you always whenever you find a patient with alkaline phosphatase elevation only elevation in alkaline phosphatase most likely this is not the liver you want to check by doing the ggt levels 
yeah so alp and ggt if both are elevated most likely there is an element of cholestasis it could be intrahepatic or extrahepatic most often if you want to differentiate between intra versus extrahepatic in extrahepatic obstruction that is when the patient has a gallstone the elevation of both these enzymes is much higher than in intrahepatic cholestasis if you find an elevation just in ggt alp is kind of normal ggt is elevated so then you think about is has the person recently consumed alcohol because alcohol can induce the this enzyme that means increase the synthesis of this enzyme that is ggt yeah so there are mainly three situations that i want you all to pay attention to which is on the next slide so if both are elevated alp and ggt most likely it is cholestasis and then you want to see whether it's intrahepatic or is it extrahepatic if it is just an elevation alp ggt is normal then you have to think about some other tissue responsible for this elevated alp so think about the bone if it's a female think about the placenta is she pregnant okay just an elevation in ggt and alp is normal then most likely it may be some inducer of enzyme synthesis it may be alcohol it can be drugs many of the drugs are inducers of enzymes in the liver okay so these are the three situations that you want to think about try to answer this question okay so uh, you can go home and read that for that one hour people in the a and b group yeah <laughs> you have again three lectures only today okay next time we'll do it better okay there's always a next time thank god okay so are we done okay acute hepatitis you want to mainly look for amino transferase what happens is the liver hepatocyte is damaged these enzymes will run out into the blood which are normally very low in the blood increased serum alp may be present but the elevation is kind of low when you find mainly an elevation in alp that is or, or did you just read it as alt okay i don't know alp is mainly cholestasis alkaline phosphatase okay don't confuse between alt there's just one alphabet i just realized now yeah one alphabet so don't mix up the two okay now we talked about alp and the importance of ggt now you can also do an ultrasound and identify if you find that the biliary tree is dilated most likely it is extrahepatic cholestasis however if the biliary tree is not dilated then you think about intrahepatic cholestasis yeah so that is kind of another another test that will help you to differentiate whether it is intrahepatic versus extrahepatic cholestasis now test for the synthetic function of the liver now liver is the only organ that synthesizes albumin and you already know the function of albumin now in patients with long standing cirrhosis or long standing liver damage what happens is they typically present with accumulation of fluid in the abdomen and if you check the serum albumin levels most of the time the serum albumin levels are low yeah so 
albumin, one of its important job is to maintain what's called as the colloidal osmotic pressure. So patients with chronic liver disease, you find low serum albumin levels. And this is the one test that you want to do whenever you want to differentiate between acute liver disease versus chronic liver disease. So as the liver disease becomes more chronic, you find that the albumin levels decrease. Whereas if the disease, if the liver disease is for like two or three days duration, the serum albumin levels will be normal. So you want to look at the serum albumin levels to be able to differentiate whether the liver disease is present for more than one month, typically until one month of liver disease, the serum albumin levels, three weeks to one month, the serum albumin levels are kind of normal, whereas beyond that, there is a reduction in the serum albumin levels. So this is one test that you would like to do when you want to differentiate acute versus chronic liver disease. Now, the development of ascites and sometimes even edema in the legs or pedal edema is said to be partly due to the low levels of albumin. The other contributory factor for the development of ascites is the portal hypertension. So there are two causes for the development of ascites. One is the low albumin levels that are seen in patients with chronic liver disease. The other cause is portal hypertension. So both of these are contributory to the development of ascites, that is increased accumulation of fluid in the peritoneal cavity. Now this is from your last term. You remember the serum protein electrophoresis? In patients with chronic liver disease, if you do a serum protein electrophoresis, what you will typically find is a reduction in albumin. We just explained why, because it's one of the jobs to, of the liver to synthesize albumin. You also find this, what this called as the red, pay attention to the red. The red indicates the patient with chronic cirrhosis. So you find what's called as a beta gamma bridging, and that's because there is increased IgA production. And there's, you know, it, it appears like a single band, so the beta and the gamma. So this you have studied last term, so we won't go too much into the electrophoresis pattern. Now, one of the jobs of the liver is to produce the clotting factors. We don't expect you to remember which clotting factors, but remember that most of the clotting factors are basically synthesized by the liver. Now, one of the tests to assess that your blood clotting or your coagulation pathway is normal is the prothrombin time, which basically detects the extrinsic cascade. Yeah. Does it seem like deja vu somewhere? The, all of this you've done last term, you remember? Yeah. So prothrombin time is typically done in patients with liver disease because it's found that many patients with liver disease, especially extensive liver disease, they have a prolongation of prothrombin time or they have a bleeding disorder. That means they tend to bleed excessively. There are two explanations for why a patient with chronic liver disease or patient with extensive liver disease has increased bleeding tendency. One of them is the job of the liver is to synthesize clotting factors. So when, the, when the, this job of the liver is affected, that means the liver is not well. So what, what happens is there is less production of the clotting factors from the liver. And this is going to result in less of the clotting factors in the circulation and increased tendency to bleed. Yeah? Or in other words, a coagulation defect. Now, there is another job that the liver does in, in relation to clotting. And that is what's called as the post-translational modifications of the vitamin K-dependent clotting factors, 2, 7, 
9 and 10 so in patients with liver disease yeah even that function may be affected that is the post translation modification of the clotting factors is also affected so there are two factors basically contributed contributing to the bleeding tendency the increased bleeding tendency one is reduction of clotting factor synthesis by the liver the second function that is affected is the post translational modifications of the factors 2 7 9 and 10 okay so both of these remember it's contributing to the increased bleeding tendency that is more commonly observed in patients with liver disease now if you look at patients with cholestasis prolonged cholestasis even then they have even even this group of patients have what's called as increased bleeding tendency now why is that now remember for vitamin k absorption what do you require you require bile salts yeah so in a patient with obstructive jaundice what happens is bile salts do not enter the intestine in other words all the absorption of fats as well as the fat soluble vitamins is going to be reduced so vitamin k absorption in these patients is going to be reduced and therefore there is going to be reduced post translational modifications of the factors that require vitamin k okay that is factors 2 7 9 10 okay so the explanation of increased or prolonged prothrombin time in patients with cholestasis is because of reduced absorption of the fat soluble vitamin that is vitamin k okay so in both groups of patients we have explained the why is there increased risk of bleeding this is super important especially if you want to prior to taking a liver biopsy you want to make sure that the prothrombin time is kind of normal or the inr is kind of normal otherwise the patient may bleed to death on the table so you don't want to do a test and and then the patient ends up with very severe bleeding or uncontrolled bleeding okay so that is another liver function test that you want to see especially when a large amount of the liver is damaged so we talked about plasma glucose i'm not going to go back to that let's look at blood ammonia levels yeah now imagine a patient with you you suspect liver disease he suddenly comes to you into the er in a comatose state so what is the what is the lab investigation you want to do so when he comes to you in the comatose state remember the first lab investigation that you want to do especially if you know that he has liver disease is the blood ammonia and invariably if the patient has liver disease and is also comatose you find that there is elevated blood ammonia levels so they are very closely correlated now our next job is to explain why is the blood ammonia levels elevated in a patient with severe liver disease it could be acute it could be chronic but it's like majority of the liver is not functioning so whenever the blood ammonia levels are so much elevated you have to first think about the liver is has lost maybe 70% of its function that means extensive liver cell damage okay so it's an indicator of very extensive or severe liver cell damage increase in the blood ammonia levels now what is the biochemical explanation for blood ammonia high blood ammonia why is it affecting neurological function So what do you think is the explanation? So if you look at look at literature, I've not written it here. If you look at literature, there are basically two explanations. One is and both of them are related to alpha ketoglutarate glutamate. 
okay, the, the ratio between alpha ketoglutarate and glutamate in the neuronal cells. Now, what happens when your blood ammonia levels increase within the neuronal cells is glutamate or glutamate is going to be converted into glutamine. Glutamate will be converted to glutamine. Now, as a result, in other words, the brain is trying to detoxify or remove ammonia, convert glutamate to glutamine. Now, as a result, what happens is the levels of glutamate in the neuronal cells decreases. Glutamate is a precursor of an important neurotransmitter that you're going to study soon, that is GABA. How many of you know GABA? GABA is an important neurotransmitter which is derived from glutamate. So what happens is when your neuronal glutamate levels fall, the GABA production is also going to fall. In other words, there is not going to be enough of GABA production. So that, in other words, what I'm trying to explain here is neurotransmitter imbalance. So when you have high blood ammonia levels, it's going to affect neuronal function basically because of neuro neurotransmitter imbalance. Now the second explanation is related to the TCA cycle. Remember the brain requires large amounts of ATP and that is mainly produced by the TCA cycle. Now alpha ketoglutarate is a component of the TCA cycle. When the blood ammonia levels increase, what happens within the neuronal cells is alpha ketoglutarate is going to be converted to glutamate which is then converted to glutamine. That means you're removing alpha ketoglutarate from the TCA cycle. So what happens then? The TCA cycle becomes kind of, you know, it's not as functional. And that is the explanation for the reduced ATP production because the TCA cycle is affected. Note that for both these causes, it's basically the alpha ketoglutarate, glutamate and glutamine which are basically responsible. There's an altered ratio of these three compounds which is responsible for the encephalopathy or the neuronal um, manifestations, the neurological manifestations seen in patients with liver disease. Okay. Now the next function is one of the jobs of the liver is lipid metabolism. Now in patients with, who have consumed alcohol over periods of time, you find that the liver may be enlarged and if you take a liver biopsy, you find that the liver cell is kind of filled with vacuoles of lipids. And this situation where there is increased tag accumulation in the liver, this, this is called as fatty liver, fatty liver. Yeah? Now there are different explanations for fatty liver. One of them is when you metabolize alcohol, there is increased NADH by NAD plus ratio and as a result beta oxidation is somewhat inhibited. So that's the first explanation. The second explanation is most likely fatty acid synthesis is increased because of higher levels of acetyl-CoA. And the third explanation is the secretion of VLDL which puts out the tag from the liver cells into the blood. This secretion is affected by alcohol. More about this you're going to study under alcohol metabolism. So for now, keep it at the back of your mind. It will come back to you, I think, on Monday next week. Okay? So don't, don't, don't be too much concerned about that for now. Now there are other special tests. We talked about alpha-fetoprotein, which is a marker for liver cancer. Patients with iron overload, you want to do the iron markers. Patients, if you suspect Wilson's disease, you want to do serum ceruloplasmin, which is usually reduced and alpha-1 antitrypsin if you suspect alpha-1 antitrypsin deficiency. Okay, so this is 
I think we have looked at all the liver function tests. Why do you want to use it? When we want to see how much is the damage and what kind of damage. Is it basically hepatic or is it post-hepatic? The extent of damage, so basically the level of enzymes, the level of bilirubin and the amount of albumin or the blood ammonia levels will give you the extent of damage. If you want to differentiate between acute versus chronic, you want to look at serum albumin. Besides that, you can also look at serum enzymes, and we have explained that. Now, you would also like to use the liver panel when you, ha when you think that a drug that you have administered is affecting liver function, typically statins. Patient on statins, you want to do the liver panel every six to eight months or every year, okay? just to make sure that there is no toxicity of the liver. And finally, the follow-up of patients and prognosis of patients you would like to do the liver panel, so when he is on therapy. So with this background, let's look at three important cases in association with this uh, lecture. Now if you observe, this patient is the same patient that we use for jaundice lecture. This is case two of the jaundice lecture. So that's the exactly same patient. We just have added the entire liver panel. So he, he complains of fatigue anorexia for the past three days Note that this is most likely an acute disorder. Yeah? So the history tells you most likely it be, may be an acute disorder. There is icterus, in other words, bilirubin metabolism is affected. Total bilirubin is 5, conjugated or direct is 3. So what kind of bilirubin elevation is this? It is kind of mixed, both conjugated and unconjugated. Yeah? So you go back, explain to your friend, why is there elevation in conjugated and unconjugated bilirubin in this patient? So looking at the bilirubin levels, you would think most likely it is liver cell damage you're thinking about. Most likely this is acute because of the history. The urine is orange yellow. Remember whenever orange yellow and is positive for the dipstick test for bilirubin, so most likely the conjugated bilirubin is being excreted in the urine. Any time you find bilirubin in the urine, remember, Keep telling yourself it's always conjugated bilirubin. Okay? Now, next, let's look at the enzymes. So this is what we are doing today. ALT and AST, both are elevated, but if you look at the ALT number, the ALT number will be much more than the AST number. Okay? It's almost a four to five fold, and if the damage is very severe, it can even go up to 10 fold elevation. Okay? So it's a very massive increase in the aminotransferases and if you look at ALT, the ALT elevation, which will always be more than AST. And that is an indicator that the liver damage is acute. That means over a, period of, over a short period of time. ALP and GGT, there is a mild elevation. The size of the arrow is important, okay? So it's a mild elevation, maybe a two-fold elevation, not more than two or three-fold. So it's a tiny elevation, and most likely it is because of inf inflammatory change and the phenomenon of intrahepatic cholestasis. Serum albumin is normal, and this tells you that the liver, this is almost like confirming that the liver damage is not more than three weeks old. In other words, it is an acute disorder. This function of the liver is not yet affected. Okay? The prothrombin time, now if the liver damage is very extensive, yeah, sometimes patients with viral hepatitis have these AST and ALT levels of like 1,000. So then you think about a huge proportion of the liver is damaged 
and it may affect prothrombin time. In other words, they may have increased bleeding tendency. Okay? So if it is elevated, it is your job to make sure that the prothrombin time is normalized before you prick the patient. In other words, before you do a liver biopsy. And we have explained why is the prothrombin time elevated. Okay? Basically, two, two factors. Less synthesis of the clotting factors, less gamma carboxylation of the vitamin K dependent clotting factors. So all these lab will tell you most likely it is liver cell damage and most likely it is acute. Two important causes at this time in year one, I think you want to think about viruses, hepatitis virus A or B or C or drug induced. Yeah. So one of them, it could be toxicity of the drug or suicidal consumption of the drug. Yeah. Extra, we are coming to the next case, extrahepatic. So I want you to, look, you to look at the size of this number. So it's, it's, the normal level is like 40. So in this patient, it may be like 60 or 80 not more than twofold or threefold, okay? Whereas, look at case report number two, which is basically a case report number three from the jaundice lecture, yeah? So this is um, a female, remember the fatty, fertile female, jaundice for two months, urine is T-colored, that means bilirubin is present. So you know the answer to this one? Lost 30 pounds despite good appetite? Yes or no? You know, kind of. What is it? What is the answer? Because of? No, she has a good appetite, so I wouldn't think carcinoma of the pancreas. Malabsorption. Yes, good, good, good. Malabsorption of what? Fat. Yeah, lipid malabsorption. It could be cancer of pancreas too, but before that I want you all to think about steatoria, malabsorption. Yeah. So before you go on to the cancer. Now, lab tests on admission, total bilirubin elevated, conjugated elevated. We have explained why is that. Bilirubin is positive in the urine, that, and that will tell you that con, you know, the conjugate bilirubin that's increased in the blood is going to be found in the urine. Urine bil, bil, urobilinogen is absent. That signifies that the obstruction is complete. Yeah? This tells you that obstruction is complete. So that is what we have seen in the previous lecture. Let's come to the down below. In this patient, ALT and AST may be slight, note, note the size, the slight elevation of ALT and AST. What does that tell you? That the obstruction has been there for some time and the back pressure is destroying the hepatocytes. It's killing the hepatocytes around the biliary canaliculi and that is why there is a tiny elevation of ALT and AST. Note this number, the number is quite small. Okay? Look at these two, ALP and GGT. There is a marked elevation in both ALP and GGT. When you find elevation in both ALP and GGT, you want to think about cholestasis. Yeah? You want to think about cholestasis. Yeah? Now, in some patients, in some labs, GGT is not done. But when you have all of this together with ALP elevation, then again, most likely it is cholestatic jaundice. Okay? Serum albumin in these patients are normal. Why is that? Because the liver function is basically not affected. The liver is normal. What is defective is the exit pathway that is a block in the 
common bile duct. The prothrombin time may be elevated, and if you find an elevated prothrombin time, that tells you that there is reduced absorption of vitamin K and therefore reduced gamma carboxylation of the clotting factors that require vitamin K. Okay? So this indicates a cholestasis. Cholestasis is the major component. It can be gallstone or carcinoma of the head of the pancreas. Yeah? Basically, you're thinking about, about extrahepatic cholestasis in this patient. Okay? Now the next, did I answer your question? I think so, right? I think we answered. Okay. Case report number three is our new patient for the day. And he is a 45-year-old man with abdominal distension. In other words, we want, what, what is this one called? It's also ascites, yeah? So fluid in the peritoneal cavity. And he is repeatedly admitted over the past three years, and there is repeated removal of the ascitic fluid. You have to be able to explain why is there ascites. Why is that? Because of the low albumin and because portal hypertension. Okay? Now, one month ago, he had a history of hematemesis. Again, that hematemesis, why is there hematemesis? The portal hypertension is going to cause varices, esophageal varices. Also, what is another factor that can contribute to the bleeding? Yeah, the defect in clotting, yes. So there are two reasons or three reasons why there is hematemesis. So what are the three reasons? What, what all did we say? I forgot the first one. The portal hypertension, the varices, yeah, I'm sorry. Portal hypertension, the varices, and the bleeding tendency, increased bleeding tendency because of clotting factor synthesis defect. Okay? So these are the three causes for hematemesis. There is history of alcohol abuse. What kind of bilirubin is elevated? Both kinds, direct as well as indirect. Both kinds of bilirubin are elevated. In other words, you're thinking about mixed hyperbilirubinemia. That means the liver cell damage. Okay? This is a very critical finding. Serum albumin is 2.1 grams per deciliter. Serum albumin is low. The normal is about 2.5 and above or 3 to 5. So we will give you the normal levels, serum albumin level. This is a cardinal feature of chronic liver damage. Anything more than three weeks or one month, you find there is lowering of serum albumin levels. Serum globulins were elevated. In other words, this is your beta gamma bridging. And there is an increase in IgA production. More about this, you're going to study under pathology. So for now, I think just keep it at the back of your mind. But you're going to study about it. Okay. Now, coming to the enzymes. Now, since this is alcoholic cirrhosis, and there is portal hypertension and all of that, in other words, it is a chronic disorder, AST is much more than ALT. And if you do the actual calculation, you will find that it's, the ratio is close to 2, or of kind of 2. This is almost, uh, it's almost indicative of alcoholic cirrhosis. ALP and GGT may be mildly elevated. Note the size of the arrow. There may be elevation and we explain there is fibrosis and as a result this causes what's called as intrahepatic cholestasis. Now GGT elevation, there is one more explanation. Note that alcohol abuse will kind of uh, stimulate this enzyme, in other words induce this enzyme and there is, that is the explanation for 
slightly more levels of DGT elevation. Okay? So if you find that, that is the explanation. Now prothrombin time is increased and we have explained why is that. Okay? Now this patient, typically after an episode of hematemesis, uh, if he comes to you in the comatose state, what other lab, lab will you look for? He comes to you, you know that he is a patient with chronic alcoholic cirrhosis. He comes to the ER in a comatose state. What lab finding do you want to look for? Blood ammonia, yes. And what will you invariably find? High blood ammonia levels. Okay. So this patient, if he comes to the ER in a comatose state, the first thing that you want to look for is the blood ammonia levels. And that tells you that the liver damage is kind of extensive or very severe and requires immediate treatment okay read this question carefully okay because sometimes they tell me that it's tricky I don't feel it's tricky Any more responses? Okay, let's let's see what you ah that's what I was telling you. So what what is the one thing that you want to look for? Urobilinogen is not increased; it may be decreased. ALT may be increased, but very tiny. Unconjugated bilirubin is not increased. Why did you write this? It's conjugated, yeah? Yeah, I know you're tired, huh? Okay, now this, the answers are on the next slide, okay? So you had, have a good time reading it and preparing it for today's session. For the next time, we'll, we'll make sure that it's done before. Thank you, thank you, and see you all next tomorrow, Friday.